Hi everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Megan. Um, I'm 20 years old and I'm part of the Upton family here at Sunny Hill Ferndown. Um, last year I did an internship with Sunny Hill um, the year after I finished my A-levels. Um, and then last October I started studying an applied theology degree at Moreland's Bible College um, with a bit of a focus on youth and community work and it's it's great, it's amazing, I love it. Um, the campus is beautiful, my room is amazing. Uh, we've got two beds in our room, so one of mine is like a bed and one's a sofa and I take great joy in putting the, the cushions on my sofa, it looks very pretty. It, it's great. Um, the lectures are interesting and the people are also uh, interesting. Um, but it wasn't always like that. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of preachers begin with a, a light and airy, funny story to get people laughing and relating in. But, you know, I figured I'd start with a bit of a testimony. Um, because one of the biggest songs for me at the moment is My Testimony by Elevation. And it, it's a great song and it's just that declarative. You know what? My life has been difficult, but look at what Jesus has done. Um, so yeah, first term at college was very difficult for me, perhaps some of the worst few months ever. Um, see, it was a lot of change all at the same time. You know, new living arrangements, new subject, new people, new routines, new placement church with yet more new people, like even new food, like everything was new. Um, and that really threw me off. Um, I think I felt so out of control and I retracted into myself, uh, isolating myself from the people around me. Um, a few weeks later, I was starting having to panic, starting having panic attacks. Um, I wasn't really eating. I wasn't really sleeping. Uh, I was completely emotionally unstable, and I had a real lack of motivation to even like get out of bed. It was really tough. Um, and I remember this instance where a friend of mine ended up accidentally spilling tea all over the new white bedding that I had bought for college. And um, it genuinely felt like my world was ending. It was horrendous. Um, thankfully, you know, emergency mode took over. I took care of it and I'm happy to report that it is all fine now. But once everything was in the washing machine and, and I couldn't do anything else practically to, to help the situation, I then ended up sitting on the floor and crying for like a solid three hours. It, I was just like complete loss having reached rock bottom end of myself I was just like what do I do now um and one of my friends then told me to write it down um because she knew that 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 really helped me to process things to to get my feelings out otherwise they're just swirling around in my head and it doesn't help um and I actually have what I wrote down here and I will read some of it for you um Typically, in, in Megan fashion, I, I, I literally wrote down sarcasm at the beginning, which was quite amusing. Um, made me laugh afterwards. Um, but I wrote, I feel sad all the time. I'm stressed and anxious about everything. There's so much going on in my head that it's all fuzzy and indistinct. I can't focus on anything. I can barely think straight. I feel so useless here, like I'm such a mess that I'm no good to anyone. I just feel like such a waste of people's time, like their lives would be better without me in them. 
you know, skip forward four pages of just that, just negativity. And you get to, whatever is going on is stealing my moments, making me miss out on so much, but I feel powerless to stop it. I'm just not good enough, not strong enough. But God still loves me. God is still faithful. God still has a plan. God still has the victory. God isn't finished with me yet. It's those things, that but God moment, that allowed me to get up off the floor and be here today. And why am I telling you this? Well, when Adam asked me to preach, the first real thought that I had in my head was, you know, this one that God has really taught me through this last year. And that is that it's not about me. Um... You know, my life, my existence, just general life on earth, it's, it's not about me. And and that's why the message today is called It's Not About Us. You know, in what I've just read, the first four pages are all, I feel sad, I am stressed, I can't focus, I feel, I feel like this, I am this, I am blah, 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 blah. And obviously I'm not negating the importance of, or the significance of our own thoughts and what we speak over ourselves but I'm saying the thing that got me up was when it was God loves God is God still God isn't finished God works God can you know it's it was those moments where God came first that's the thing that got me up and so that is why I'm talking about it's not about us today so as Adam mentioned um over the summer the messages that uh that we're going to be sharing are all going to be based around the sermon on the mount and when i was reading through those chapters um the passage that caught my attention was the section on salt and light specifically light um so i'm going to read matthew 5 verses 14 to 16 although i realize that i haven't actually got them up yet which is brilliant so let me find them um, it's going well so far. <laughs> so it reads, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I just recommended this great book by a friend called Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. And when talking about verse 14, the verse that's, that reads, You are the light of the world, the author writes, It is one of those statements which should have always have the effect upon us of making us lift up our heads, causing us to realise once more what a remarkable and glorious thing it is to be a Christian. You, said our Lord, looking out upon those simple people, those entirely unimportant people from the standpoint of the world. You are the light of the world. While this is incredibly true and incredibly powerful, the verse I particularly want to focus on is the very last verse in this passage um, because it's the, it's the reason why we do everything, why everything even exists in the first place, the end game, if you will, and it is to glorify our Father in heaven. 
It's not about us. It's about God. Romans 11.36 For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So, what then does it mean to be the light of the world? Well, I've sort of broken it down into three points that I feel are the most important to talk about today. And the first of which is that being the light of the world means gaining a greater perspective. So in this passage, you'll notice that we have the light of the world, a town on a hill, and a lamp in a house. So notice how the the placements of all those things, they differ in size. You've got the world and then a town, and then a house. Now, sort of flip that around, you've got the house, the town, the world, that growing um, catchment area, if you will. And Jesus says a similar thing at the end of his time on earth in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he is delivering the Great Commission. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the house, In all Judea and Samaria, the towns, and to the ends of the earth, the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's that progression of catchment. It is that progression of, we're going to start where we are, but we're going to push out. We're going to great, we're going to widen our perspective and widen the people that we are thinking about. Um... But it's so much more than just that physical size growing. Um, At the time, you know, Jerusalem was where the temple were. It's where the Jews were. It's where, you know, it was was the church, I guess, that that we would liken it to the church. So Jesus is saying we'll be be witnesses in the church, which is great. And and that's usually kind of the easiest thing to do. Um, And then he says Judea. And Judea is um, the place within which Jerusalem is, you know, like the country almost. And um, so I guess that would be like friends and family. It's like people that you know, um, but they might not all be Christians or they might not all be Jews in this case. Um, who it, It's relatively easy to talk to them, but it's still, you know, it's a bit more awkward than church. Um and then you've got Samaria. Samaria um, is the the place where the enemies of the Jews live, you know. Um, the Jewish people believed that the Samaritans were ceremonially unclean, and so they regarded them as enemies. And so for Jesus to say, be witnesses in Samaria, that's him saying to them, you need to go and you need to preach to your enemies. So you can see that while Jesus is widening this perspective of not just your little small area, but greatening that um, horizon, he's also saying, you know, you want to be witnesses to the church, to your friends, to your family, to the people that you know, to the people you maybe don't know, even to your enemies. And then the ends of the earth, that's not just enemies, but that's not just Jews either. That's just everyone. You know, in this way, he's he's beginning to widen the perspectives of the people at the time who only believed that Jews could be saved. You know, in essence, Jesus, he's challenging that mentality of being the light of the church by pushing out that field of vision to the light of the world. He came to save the Jews and the Gentiles, even their enemies. He came to save the houses, the towns, the whole 
world. As that quote said earlier, you know, Jesus was, was talking to these simple people, entirely unimportant from the standpoint of the world. Uh, challenging that mentality that, you know, you have to be a, a rich Jew to get into heaven. Um, yeah. It, it's, gr it's great that, that that's a thing, you know, otherwise we would all be <laughs> pretty lonely. Um, so praise Jesus that he is inclusive and diverse in that because the 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 gift that we have through that is unimaginable. My second point is that being the light of the world means understanding the depths of God's grace. Can I ask, um, does anyone recall a specific moment where they first really experienced God's grace? Do you know of a particular time where you remember that light bulb kind of switched on and you got to, to really experience what it means to live in the grace of God? Well, for me, there was one Sunday morning, um, I think I was down to lead worship on the Paul Campus live stream perhaps, oh, the last couple of years have been such a blur, it might have been in person, it might have been a live stream, can't really remember, um, but Dom, the pastor of Sunny Hill, he, he shared during our prayer time before the service about how we should be doing everything for God, it's not about what we look like, it's not about, it's not even about what we sound like um, as part of the worship team, but it's about bringing glory to God turning people's eyes to him and worshipping him for all that he is, not all that we are. And I remember thinking, like, you know, I'd always known that in my head, but I hadn't fully, I don't know, it just it just clicked that morning and I was like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of want to do that. <laughs> like, let's try that, you know. Um, and you know what, that morning was just so powerful. I, I felt completely free completely improperly free in that um you know I knew what I was and you know that I couldn't hope to be perfect and excellent enough for God but I I felt I you know in that moment I didn't feel like I had to try you know I was I was existing in his grace freely in his love and in his presence like never before um, and every time I come to worship, there is that moment before where I say, it's not me, God, it's you. Let my heart be in the right place to glorify you. And I would encourage you, if you haven't experienced anything like that before, please, please, please pray that God unveils it to you. I will be praying that God unveils it to you because... It is such a freeing and, and beautiful experience and it it in turn aids in, in the widening of your perspective on life because it pushes your brain beyond just that sort of small little column of me, me, me to, wow, look at what God has done. It's that wonder and that awe and that oh, gratitude, I guess. Um... In Genesis 2, we see that God created man from the dust of the earth. 
Then in John 13, we are told the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now, obviously, in those times, they didn't have Jordans or Docks or Timberlands. Um, for those of you that don't know the brands that I just listed, they are shoes. Expensive, nice shoes. Um, they didn't have those. They obviously wore sandals everywhere, and so their feet would get really dirty, covered in, wait for it, the dust of the earth. And the Son of God, the Word that was with God and was God, washed it off the disciples' feet. We are made of the stuff that Jesus washed off his disciples' feet. And when we fully realise that, when we can understand how completely undeserving we are of being saved, everything that God has done for us comes into its true and proper perspective. And the only posture that we can take is one of complete praise for God, of devotion to him of that wonder of who he is that gratitude that awe that you know renders you to to your knees in front of him and to devote yourself to being his light in the world around us i think this in turn it ignites that a dissatisfaction in just keeping it to ourselves um if you've ever seen a child with a secret, you'll know what I'm talking about. Like, when they know something. Um, it doesn't even have to be a big secret. But they know something and they want to share it. Um, they get so excited, they look like they're about to, like, explode. Um, and then they literally just tell anyone and everyone about what they've seen. That's just the best thing ever. You know. It could have just been, like, a stick that looked like a dog. Or a woodlouse. Or a ladybird or something. But... They will talk to anyone, like walk up to a stranger in the street. Did you see this ladybird that I found? It's so cool. People are just like, yeah. But but it's that pure joy that, that kids find in, in that, that they have to tell everyone. And, and we should be like that with with this, this gospel, with God's grace. You know, when we understand the full depths of God's grace, why wouldn't? We shout about it from the rooftops. Why would we keep it to ourselves when we can share it with everyone and everyone can experience that freedom and that joy that comes from it? My third point is that being the light of the world means living in light of redemption. Now, a friend of mine from college recommended reading the book of Hosea. And the passion with which she spoke of it stirred me to read it for myself within its pages I found a real depth of emotion within a God who was so often seen as only angry and wrathful and you know smite smiting people and killing people for just touching something you know but in Hosea there was an emotive God the poetry it's so beautiful and I'm gonna read again I haven't got it up which is great I'm going to read from Hosea 7, verse 13 to 15. Um, and it reads, Woe to them because they have strayed from me, destruction to them because they've rebelled against me. I long to redeem them, but they speak about me falsely. They do not cry out from me, cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. They slash themselves, appealing to their gods for grain and new wine. They turn away from me. I train them and strengthen their arms, 
but they plot evil against me. The impact for me in this passage is it's God's desire to redeem his people and how unconditional his love is despite what these people have done. You know, it says that they speak falsely about him, they turn away from him, they plot evil against him. And yet he longs to redeem them, he longs to save them. They've turned against him completely and he longs to save them. And now he has, and that's us. We get to be that, we get to live in that redemption. God longs for us and through his grace we have been redeemed. Why wouldn't we sing for joy at that reality? You know, why wouldn't we proclaim every hour of the day just how wonderful our Lord truly is? We get to be that. Despite what we've done, God has redeemed us. He longs for us. Nothing. We are nothing and yet he longs for us. So why wouldn't we live in that? Going back to us being the light of the world, it's interesting that at no point does Jesus talk about there not being any light. Just that it's covered. But just because it's not visible doesn't mean it's not there. We have been redeemed in the same way that we all carry a light. But sometimes we get so wrapped up in ourselves that, you know, pride and self-doubt, they, they creep in and they obscure that light. Sometimes even from our own eyes, we don't see that light in us, but it is still there. We mustn't let our own thoughts get in the way of what God has done. God loves us. He does. Fact. Jesus died as a sacrifice to take away all our sin. It's the truth. So... Why not live in that assurance? Why spend your life looking inside and doubting the truth when you can just look at God and believe? You know, I've done that so, like 18 years of my, well, I'm 20 now, so 20 years, even though I wasn't really thinking about it when I was one and a half. You, you get my point. You know, I spent my whole life looking inside, doubting the truth, thinking that I'm not good enough, but actually, it's not about me. And it's not about us, it's all about God and when we look at him there is almost a freedom in going oh thank goodness it's not about me (laughs) you know I'm not the one who has to make decisions and and risk you know messing up that there there is a freedom because it takes the weight off of your shoulders of actually I'm not the one controlling this and, and that's okay God is and he's definitely a lot better at this than I am it's not about us it's all about God I guess a summary of this these points would be that we need to fix our eyes on God above all because it's not about us at every point over the last year where I felt on the verge of panic again I've reminded myself of this song called look up child I really had this sense of God just saying look up look up my child look at me I've taken a moment to fix my eyes on him and not me and as a result I haven't had a panic attack since first term, which is amazing and so freeing. You you know, I've come close because we live in an imperfect world and we are imperfect and life is stressful at times. (laughs) But I've never gone over the edge because I know that God is there and I've taken that step. As soon as I felt it, I've taken that step and just taken my eyes off of me and looked up. 
another great song. It's another in the fire. Um, and at the end, the, the line is repeated. I'll count the joy come every battle. Why? Because I know that's where you'll be. Yeah, there's a great passage in James that talks about we um, count it joy every time we suffer and we persevere during our persecution because it 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 brings character and it strengthens us and it um, grows us and, and things like that. But actually this song is it's not because it will grow me, even though it will, not because we want the blessing that follows, which which it often does, but but because I want more of you, God. Because I know that's where you'll be. And I want to be wherever you are, no matter what the circumstances might be, no matter where that is. I just want to be with you. You know, like, I was wondering, I think we often limit God to our own terms. To exist solely for our own personal gain and to live within the confines of the little box that we call home, that we sort of place our lives in, that we try to control. Um, I've definitely been guilty of treating God like my own personal genie, you know, click my fingers and, and he'll be there to grant my wishes, only talking to him when I need something and only ever really praying for myself. But <clears throat> life is about so much more than that. Um, you know, Adam a few weeks ago said, if all your prayers... All your wishes came true from the last week. Everything that you prayed about, just God went, yes, clicked his fingers, it all came true. Would there be anyone new sat in this church? Would any more people have come to Christ? It's a real challenge and I know that for me the answer is no. Blatantly honest. But most of the time I only ever pray about myself. I've already been saved, what more could I need? As we saw at the start, the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus reshaping the way people lived by expanding the way they thought about God. Jesus broke down the walls that the Jews lived within by fulfilling the law, by bridging that gap between us and God so that we can now have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe who, for some reason deems us worthy of such a great sacrifice. It happened. So what do we do with that knowledge? Well, we step out in the authority that we've been given as children of God to be the light of the world. We push out our perspective beyond our light and momentary troubles and we fix our eyes on the one who is everlasting. 2 Corinthians 4. Um, it's one of my favourite no it is my favourite chapter in the bible and it's on present weakness and resurrection life and there are verses in it which are like uh, verse 8 we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body down to verse 16 therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4 doesn't downplay 
the struggles that we have in life. It simply says that life is about more. It simply turns your eyes to greater things. You know, we are hard pressed on every side. We are persecuted. We are struck down. We are perplexed. Like, life is difficult. But... But not crushed, but not in despair, but not abandoned, but not destroyed because we are carrying around Jesus in our body. Because we are fixing our eyes on what is eternal and unseen. We are fixing our eyes on God and not on us. If we ever feel like we're guilty of being too comfortable in our lives, if there are places in our lives where we aren't shining light, if we don't feel like we've ever grasped the concept of God's grace, if we aren't living in the truth that we've already been redeemed through Christ, if we know all these things in our heads, but you know we're still allowing fear or pride to hold us back from doing something about it, then let's spend some time in prayer. Spend some time reflecting on those things. Coming before God, open and vulnerable and asking him to move in those areas. We need to commit our lives to him, to focus on him, to devote our lives to him because he is worthy of it all. It's all about him. Romans 11.36, once more. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.